Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. What is going on, guys? Vigor Life Podcast is back. And looky, looky, who we have here, none other than my friend Alan Aragon, which we like, listen, we have to we have to catch up for a while before we even <laughs> press record on this one because it's been a minute, man. But it's such a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. Um, after after I said like this, it's been damn, it's probably been like eight or nine years since we had you um, at the event uh, at the Change in the Game event, man. But but it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast. So great to be here, Luca. It's so great to talk to you. So great to see you again, man. Hell yes, right back at you and. Like I said, from from the get go, I mean, look, you're let's 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 keep it real here. Like you're one of the top guys in the world when it comes to nutrition. Um, I, I, what I love about you, obviously, is that not only is you know things are evidence based, but and this is the thing that I'm gonna riff on a lot today is the practicality of it, right? Is where the research meets the I would say the coaching in the real world that helps people actually do the things. Um, you know, cause there's, there's that part of it where it's just like, well, here's all the data and the science. And it's like, okay, look, but we gotta, we gotta get folks doing this stuff. So it changes their life. And the overarching, you know, theme today, I really want it to be not only, um, I would say, look, the, the reality is most people to, to get healthier, they also need to work on their body composition. Um, so we're going to talk about that. But I want to also dive into the health and longevity part of, of nutrition and Truth is, a lot of times, you know, those things are very interconnected. Um, not always, but a lot of times they're interconnected. And I want to create a blueprint and, and kind of start from the foundation, almost like if we worked in tiers and said, okay, what are the foundations of what most people don't do? But if they did it, they'd be looking pretty damn good. Their performance would be pretty damn good and it'd be pretty damn healthy. What 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 is that kind of like bottom of the pyramid for you when you look at like, you know, and this, this, Tier one would probably be a, a bit generalized, but like for that goes for everybody. But there you're like, hey, if, if folks did this, man, we'd be in a good place. Well, really basic foundation stuff would be eat enough, but not too much. Get enough protein and get most of your foods from whole and minimally refined sources. And then maybe a fourth one to kind of put the icing on the cake would be to get a decent variety of, uh, of those healthy foods. Mm. And so, uh, instead of sticking to like a diet of just a handful of things, so you can cover more of the nutrient spectrum. And so if people did that, combine that with a good training program and just something that they enjoyed, some sort of physical activity that they enjoyed and just maintain that for a lifetime, then that's kind of the, the blueprint. That's kind of the recipe. And so the first one I wanted to dive into is on the practicality side is, you know, when you say, okay, you know, eat, like don't not eating too much and how, because this, this is where it comes back to you. And, and I have like, I want to riff back and forth with you uh, on this because I do a lot of nutrition coaching when it comes to coaching somebody, you know, where, how do they track it? How do they know? What's your experience been with, you know, when it comes to macros or tracking in a, my fitness pal or something else versus other strategies to, you know, in some way track where you are and how you're changing things. Cause, cause that's where a lot of folks get stuck, right? Man, I, it's difficult to track. I don't want to do this. It stresses me out. What is, what goes into that pool to help people find, you know, what's enough calories, but not too much for them. 
Yeah. Well, taking a couple steps back, um, if you, if you're in a room of like a hundred fitness professionals or 200, 300 fitness professionals in a conference, let's say, and then you ask the room, how many of you guys track your, your macros? How many of you guys track your macros and enjoy tracking it? <laughs> the, you'll get them only a minority of the room yep, like not raising me. their hands, you know? <laughs> and so you can imagine if, if you get in front of a group of lay people, let's say, you know, randomly at like a park or a church or something like that. How many of you guys track your macros? <laughs> you get like three hands uh, for every like, you know, hundred people. And so um, tracking macros and, and tracking stuff at that level of micromanagement is something that is pretty unnatural for most people. And most people don't like the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, the only niche group of people who like the idea are folks who are highly oriented towards quantifying everything. I like to call them almost like fitness accountants. So mm -hmm. you do have your group of fitness yep. accountant people who love data, who love numbers, who love the small details and they'll track all day, every day for, they've been doing it for years and they love it. Um, However, the majority of folks at best, what you can do is just explain to them that, okay, this is a, a, a phase of building awareness of what you're eating and we'll do it for two weeks, tough it out, tough it out for two weeks. And, and you'll gain an awareness of the caloric values and the nutrient values of the foods that you personally eat and in the serving sizes that you eat them. And once we gain that awareness, tough it out and you can decide whether you want to continue with it or not. But um, for a certain segment of people who want to push the envelope with either performance or body composition, and they want to be on their own, they don't want to be coached through something. They don't want to have to depend on a menu. Uh, they don't want, want to have to depend on, you know, handholding from here to eternity. It actually is a good skill to have to know that a palm sized piece of chicken will get you 40 to 50 grams of protein, you know, that, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Uh, a cup of starch, you know, will get you like 50 grams of carbohydrate. Um, th those kind of things. It, it is helpful for people to know, but, um, I, I have to say, even if they don't know the gram values of stuff and they just have an idea of how much food portion wise is going to keep them consistent to their goals. They can learn it that way too. It's just less precise, um, less uh, micromanagey, but there is a full range of ways that people can be accountable and still make progress. But, and, and so the, the idea or, or the, the secret in quotes is finding what the individual clicks with in terms of their preferred approach to diet. Like some people hate counting grams and they'll do it for a week and then they'll hate it and they'll never do it again. Some people will love it and others will be much better with just very general guidelines. And if, in if they can succeed on the general stuff, like eat, Hey, have, have, have a significant amount of protein with each meal. Try to have vegetables once a day. If you can try to have two to four fruits a day, if you can. And the way that they know whether they're succeeding or not is on roughly a monthly basis, assess what's going on with body weight, body composition, if you want 
and then just take note of the trends and then adjust up or down from there. And so I think that when people can get into a routine, like this ironclad routine that consists of meals and snacks that they love, or at least don't hate, you know, and hopefully they can even look forward to it, get into that routine and know how to switch stuff out within the, um, within the, the, uh, the archetypes of, of the meals, if you will know how to know that a couple scoops of protein is the same thing as a freaking chicken breast in terms of protein grams. If you know that, then that can help. But if you just know, basically, Oh, well, my coach said that, you know, if I miss this, this chicken breast, then I can just have a couple scoops of protein and I'm good on protein, then, Hey, that, then that's fine too. But the thing is get, find the routine that you enjoy. And when you find that routine eating wise, all you have to do is eat more of it or less of it, depending on what your goals are. So, um, it doesn't, people don't always have to track, just find the meals you love, see how it affects your body composition, take a month to assess and, um, and then adjust up or down from there. So it doesn't have to be this complicated thing where you're crunching numbers all day. And a couple of things to unpack here. I think number one is just understanding and from what you're saying too, like you're building a skill set, right? It, it, you got, you're building a skill set and you got a whole bunch of, I think for, for coaches, definitely, but for people is building a toolbox because right. One toolbox is, Oh, we'll track it. Okay. But what if, what if a person doesn't want to do that? And then you have portion sizes and like, Hey, fistful of protein, you have plate, you know, plate sizes. I love, actually, this is, this is one of the things I've become, I hashtag this on Instagram bowl life. Cause it like most of my meals re, 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 kind of revolve around a bowl and it's like add protein, you know, 40 gram, add starch, add a bunch of veggies, add sauerkraut. And it just, you know, looks like compartmentalized. And it's so easy to do because then it's like, okay, replace starch, replace veggies, replace, pro you know, it's, mm, it's like a, mm -hmm. a drag and drop kind of thing in my head. Um, and, but I, I look at all of those things as a toolbox, right? Like, okay, if, if I have, you know, I'm obviously an analogy, like if all I have a as a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Like, I, I think that doesn't work well with, especially with a wide population where folks are like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Um, mm -hmm. But you keep, you know, you keep bringing out, things in a toolbox that support the principle. And the principle mm -hmm. is like, you know, you're going to need, need to eat less food if you want to drop body fat and weight. But the other thing, and I, I wonder what you think about this, you know, cause you said structure And my thought around this has been that when people make a change at the beginning, I, I feel like it's very helpful for folks to eat the same foods. Um, because, and, and again, things that they like, you know, love or like, and at least not hate, like you said, mm -hmm. to get in the routine. Cause I think if you get in a good routine, you build up, you know, some wins and some self-efficacy and confidence around like, okay, I'm sticking to this pretty good. And then you can start adding in, um, I would say maybe switching some stuff up. Have you found that like, that's a, what, do you recommend that to go like, Hey, look, when you make the switch up to, to have less stress, just eat the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely helps. That it totally helps because then what you do is you stabilize that variable. There's so many variables that go on in people's lives. And that's one of the things that confuses them and 
makes it tough for people to change their bodies. Like for weight loss, for example, they don't know whether they're eating more or eating less one day or moving more or moving less the next day. Everything is haphazard. Just lock into a routine so you have an eye on what's going on with the energy coming in and, and the energy flowing out. Now, it's always going to vary day to day, but the trends and the overall picture, if you can just stay consistent, then that variation is going to be consistent as well. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of a month, you'll be able to know, is this plan putting fat on me? And okay, so if it is, then I got to make the programming decision of, do I need to move more or do I need to look at my diet and see what I need to cut back on or cut out or whatever is easier for, for somebody? Usually it's looking at the diet and seeing what you might need to reduce, especially if you're already eating foods that you love. I'm not a proponent of totally kicking foods out if you happen to like yeah. them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but the, the main thing is that uh, th this is just for a reminder for anybody and everybody. It's very interesting because I just, I had a, a podcast where I was talking about business, you know, and it was, I, I went into like, you got to audit your time, you know, and, and we all have to audit our time because we think we're super productive. And then we find a whole bunch of, you know, fucking time that like, we're just doing dumb stuff. And it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> but you can only realize it once you audit it. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, with nutrition, like you got to find some type of way to audit what you're actually doing. You know, what's the point A on the GPS? I think it's easier to find point B, like, where do you want to go? Right. But it's actually sometimes difficult to, you know, look, look at the reality of what is point A, you know, same thing, your bank account, your time audits, your, your food, you, you got, you got to create awareness around where you're at and then get a, a picture of where you want to be, uh, to be able to move forward. I think that's, that's really important. No matter which approach you take from the toolbox, it's got to be one of them. And yep. this kind of mm -hmm. brings me to part, part number two, which like sometimes for me talking about it feels so redundant, redundant because we're fitness people, right? So if I'm if I'm talking to another coach, you know, trying to tell them to get enough protein in is almost like the most duh moment of all time. But but the thing is, is that you, you cognitive dissonance, right? Like you don't realize how um, I would say how how much people under eat protein. And do you? I, I actually don't know the current like if there's any data around this, what the average consumption is uh, of the average American, I'd, I'd love to hear it. But the thing is that when I moved in with my, with my girlfriend, I was like, holy crap, like you're under eating protein, like on another level, you know? And, and she's like, oh, I'm going to change this and that. And, and we're like, Hey, you, you know, you're eating this much and this is kind of where you should be uh, working towards. And this is why I was, you know, even with coaching clients, but even somebody in my 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 own life that uh, that I love dearly, I go like, wow, it's incredible how deficient people are in protein. Do you, do you actually have any data around this? I'm personally oh, yeah. like fascinated by by this um, because it seems such a simple uh, fix, mm -hmm. but again, most people are just not getting enough protein in. Yeah, general public, the general public in the U.S., the data on them. Protein intake wise is somewhere between 0.9 to 1.1 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. So that's the general, general population. They're eating about one gram per kilogram of body weight. And uh, we know that the RDA, which is just a little bit less than that, 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, is insufficient for optimizing 
health, let alone performance and, and fitness and body composition. And so um, it is a, it's a myth that the general public gets enough protein. And the people who perpetuate that myth are basing that statement on the RDA. Because, yeah, they're, they're getting a little more than the RDA. But guess what? The RDA is about 50 to 100% less than what I was about to, to say. Consuming. Yep. So, so yeah. Um, and the elderly population, the, uh, older adults, aging adults, they are especially low on protein intakes. I mean, you see intakes like at and below the RDA on average for for um, older populations. And that is particularly a bad thing because you're at a point in your life where you're really trying to rescue uh, lean mass losses. You're really trying to hang on to fitness, hang on to strength, muscle mass. Um, and underdoing protein at, in your older years is kind of the kiss of death for a lot of folks. And it, does, it, does it continue to drop with older age too? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And, and that's because if you look at the pattern of the way that older people eat, they either, um, have a typical breakfast. That's maybe 10% protein of the, yeah, 10% protein. Um, or they will just kind of skip breakfast altogether and then they'll have lunch, which will have a small ish amount of protein, like 15, 20, 20 grams, maybe. And then they'll get the bulk of their day's protein in one meal, which is the dinner meal in which they may have a piece of meat or whatever that'll run anywhere from, you know, 30 to 60 grams of protein, let's say. But by the end of the day, they're barely scraping the RDA if they do at all. And that's a bad thing because the RDA, like, like we mentioned, it's about 50 to hundred percent below what optimizes health for most populations. And so the solution to that would be to just start getting the protein in at the first meal of the day. If you can beef up the protein within okay, the breakfast. I, then, I love that you said that, but th that's, a lot of times, I mean, what you're hearing is not, it's not what a lot of folks are saying. And, and what I mean, look, is there's a lot of confusion going on out there, but to, again, why not, if, if that's, and I see exactly where you're coming from, because it's like, if this is a, a weak link, why, it's like eat the elephant, right? Like, why wouldn't you address the weak link first thing? And then you kind of got, got a head start on a race per se for the day when it comes to protein. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like, Fitness people and people who are totally aware of their intake, um, nutrient wise and all of that stuff. And they just got a finger on all the variables. Uh, fine. You know, it, there, there are people who skip breakfast completely and they get everything in though, by the end of the day, they'll get it in through lunch and through dinner. Um, and they're fine. But we, we, you're talking about the general population who's just kind of living life and they need to make, um, these, doable changes, sometimes small changes at a time, just the objective of saying, Hey, let's beef up the amount of protein you have at the first meal of the day that can make a, a tremendous difference. Cause they're not tracking their stuff throughout the day. You know, um, they're not tracking anything, <laughs> but in order to help that particular population, simply adding 20, 30 grams of protein to the first meal can make a huge difference in their ability to stay healthy and keep sarcopenia and even sarcopenic obesity at bay. Man, what a cheat code right there. And the thing, so, I, cause I'm, I'm actually a person that, and I always share this too, for no, I would say for no scientific reason, um, 
where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm purposely fasting 16, eight or anything. Like I just hit the ground running caffeine. Let's go. Um, and like, I love breakfast foods, but I tend to eat a late breakfast, like noon or one. But again, I, I'm always like, Hey, did I get my, you know, 180, 200 grams of protein in today? You know, like it's always there, but the reality is that for most people it's not. And so, you know, and if anything, I will say this as soon as, you know, cause we have a fit bar, uh, it's like we have a smoothie bar inside of the gym. So, uh, when I come in here, you know, I get a PPNJ with extra protein, boom, that's 45. So th there's that. And it's like, if you can start the day already doing something like that, that's super simple and easy, like mm -hmm. you're ahead of the game. And, and yep. there's uh, now, cause I, I read some, um, I, I know this was one study that showed, I think it was in a, uh, two different groups in 12 weeks that, um, basically one group, they just said, Hey, eat 30 to 40 grams of protein in every meal and three meals per day. The other group, they said, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and the group that ate, so no, they had no other directions, mm. no calorie restrictions, no food restrict, nothing. It was, everything else was the same. It was just like, Hey, get 30, 40 grams of protein in per, per meal. And, uh, that group over the course of 12 weeks ended up eating about, I think it was 441, 440 calories less per day, mm. uh, mm -hmm. because of just nutritional displacency. And so it's, there's so many benefits to the protein part that to, to me, to me, when I start uh, coaching people, nutritions, just number one and two that you mentioned, like if they can do those two things, I mean, you're already so far ahead of the game uh, to yeah. where you can control portion sizes in mm -hmm. some way through some type of tracking and monitoring and get your protein in. I mean, like if you could do that in year one. Oh yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, man. And, and a lot of times with a lot of people, all it takes is just getting them to gain an awareness of their protein target that they need to hit through the day. And once they have that awareness, it almost auto-regulates the other dietary variables. Mm. You know, it almost auto-regulates the amount of total calories they need to consume. Cause a lot of people who are starting off with subpar amounts of protein intake, they also have subpar satiety levels and they have very poor hunger control. And so once you increase protein to level that it needs to be, which for most people is right around 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight. So double the RDA. Yeah. If you, if you set protein at that level, then that automatically increases the amount of satiety that you walk around with through the day, increases hunger control and um, <clears throat> ends up auto-regulating the amount of the rest of the stuff that you take in through the day. And there is a spontaneous decrease in total calories as a result of just increasing protein. And, um, along, along those lines, you know, there, there's a huge body of research on ketogenic diets and a lot of the cases, the people who get on the ketogenic diet end up eating about double the protein than they used to eat before they got on the keto diet. Mm. And so a lot of the, the reason for the spontaneous total calorie reductions via keto is because people have doubled, doubled their protein intake as well. And so there is definitely a lot of practical um, effects of increasing protein intake that go beyond just getting what you need, supporting lean body mass. You're also regulating appetite a lot better. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like I said, that's a huge winner. Because again, like th these are practical things. It's like if you take anything from it, you know, do this one thing, do this second thing. 
And like, if you keep doing it over the course of time, it'll change. I mean, it'll completely change your body composition it's because again, I, I think it's very simple to get bought into. I mean, it, you know, if you're in social media and you listen to a pocket, there's always some angle about some type of diet or something different. And I'm like, man, these are the principles. There's different roads to get to that principle. Like take one of them and just stick with it. And it can change the way that you look, feel, perform, you know, your longevity and everything else, which which leads me to like the third one that you mentioned in, you know, eating more whole unprocessed foods. And mm -hmm. I know like you've always, I, I actually always kind of preach your 80-20 rule, um, which, uh, and, I'm, and I'm always like, and if you know what, and if you want to get, you know, more dialed in, go 90-10, but you know, it's sliding scale. Don't ever go hundred zero. <laughs> Don't do that one. <laughs> we'll leave um, that for the competitive body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but here's what, what have you found in, in a practical application of this? Cause I, I find that, you know, this probably is one of the more challenging ones because um, you know, when you get somebody to like, Hey, eat more fruits, eat more veggies, you know, it comes down to like, okay, does that mean I got to cook more of this stuff? Like, what do I do with it? Like, I, I don't even like veggies or I don't know which veggies I like. What's the practical application of getting folks to eat more of that in a way that's not where there's not like crazy resistance, right? Yeah. You can kind of, you can kind of slowly move along that, that, um, that scale of like getting to that 80, 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, man. Like, most people in the general public don't you they're not even aware that your diet can still be healthy even if 20% of it is from pure junk you yep. know <laughs> um you have to kind of flip their perception of it you know you you have to say look if 80 to 90% of your diet is you're eating like a Spartan, <laughs> then that 10 to 20% is not going to negatively impact your health. If anything, that 10 to 20% of in quotes, indulgence foods or fun foods or junk foods, even if you will, that allotment will actually add to your quality of life psychologically. And it'll also enable you to better stick to your diet in, in the long term. And there, there's a, a lot of research in that vein, man, where they, they've even, uh, there's a really interesting study, I call it the bread study, where um, they took two groups of people and one of the groups was allowed up to three servings of bread, like three slices of bread a day. And the other group was not allowed any, any kind of, uh, any bread, no, no, you know, none of the starch group uh, or none of the, uh, the grain group, the re the refined grain group. And so the, the three slices of bread group was able to not only, um, stick to their diet better, but that they had better outcomes in terms of, uh, in terms of body weight loss and weight loss maintenance. So, and that's because there was kind of this light at the end of the tunnel. They were actually allowed to have some bread <laughs> of all things. And, and we're not even talking about allowed to have um, ice cream or cookies. We're talking about bread. And there's a lot of people who um, demonize and vilify all types of foods, anything from bread to um, some people like demonize eggs, for example. You can't have egg. No, you can't have bread. You can't have this kind of that. Oof. Fact of the matter is, dude, 10 to 20% of your diet, which for most people is going to be like, you know, 250 to 500 calories or so from anything you want, you know, uh, cookies, ice cream, beer, wine, fried chicken, whatever it is. Um, as long as 80 to 90% of, of your diet 
is from whole and minimally refined foods, then you will likely uh, live just as long as anybody who tries to go a hundred zero, except you'll have a happier life. And you <laughs> kind of important you know, right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, that's the facts per the evidence. And, um, you know, even when you look at the longest living populations in the world, uh, and we can look straight at, at the blue zones, they're probably the most famous population in the world for longevity. So we're looking at um, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California, uh, the Okinawa, the famous Okinawans in, mm-hmm. in, in Japan, um, Ikaria, that's Greece, Greece, Nicoya, Costa Rica, and there's a fifth one that I'm not remembering at the moment. Ah, Sardinia, Italy. Um, those five populations, if you look at their diet, there is always an allotment of dessert, uh, drinks, uh, freaking, you know, just nasty processed crap that you would caution people against eating. But they always eat a minority of that stuff. And the majority of their stuff is from fruits, vegetables, fish, um, uh, various various foods across the groups, whole foods. And um, gosh, you know, even in Okinawa, Japan, they're, eat, they're eating pork and stuff. So uh, the the moral of the story is you don't have to try to have this 100% in quotes clean diet to live a maximally long and healthy life. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a big, uh, you know, if I had a party, pop, like party popper, I'd pop it. Right. Because, because I think that there's always this, um, I don't know, again, by working with people in the real world, you constantly see this whole thing where that people feel so guilty in doing it. And I've always said, structure it in a way that, you know, for instance, I, I love popcorn and Reese's Pieces and popcorn. I know it's a weird combo, but I promise you, if you try it, you'll be like, it's the greatest thing ever. And, you know, every time I go to movies, that would be my thing. In the evenings for like throughout the day, I eat, you know, in line. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, I like true fruits or, you know, dark chocolate or, and it's like, all, I'm literally almost every night having that. And most of the people that I know that are healthy, they're lean, every single person has, you know, what some would call indulgence in something. And, yeah. and the biggest thing is doing it with zero remorse because you know it's part of your plan. It's like, no, this fits in into my 20 or, you know, maybe it's a part of the year. We're like, oh, I'm getting ready for the summer. And now it's 15, right, percent or 10 percent or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. But to, to be completely guilt free doing it because, you know, it's the plan. I, and yeah. I think that makes it a big difference between going like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Uh, I did something I shouldn't have done. It's like, no, actually, you should do that because, I mean, we know just from from that as a psychology of it. Like if I restrain you from something, you're going to want more of it. And then yeah. just pick what are the things that you really that are worth it. Right. What are the things that are worth it? Because sometimes, you know, when you eat like a shitty dessert and you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, God, I, you know, I should have just stuck to the stuff I knew was great. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's that's so, so, so important. And, um, you know, that, again, it comes to planning. And, and so here's this is my my, my question, too. Um, I, I like to say that one of the most important habits is, you know, uh, kind of like plan, prepare, cook, just mm-hmm. just. You know, kind of like the in the business is like know what you have to do the next day. That's the most important stuff. Um, tend to find that if people don't know what they're gonna 
eat the next day, they're going to be in trouble if they haven't built that skill set up yet. Right. So uh, for somebody that's been doing it for years and yeah, for sure, like you, you can make things, make decisions on a fly much easier, but somebody that's just changing their nutrition, wanting to improve it. Um, have you found the same thing to where if people don't have a plan for the next day that they tend to struggle, like their default yeah. struggle? They, they need a plan overall. Um, and everybody's coming from a different place. Um, people who struggle a lot with, with body weight, um, I found that they never prepare their own food. Like their diet is at the mercy of this restaurant or that. Um, and that's pretty brutal. I mean, if you're going to depend on um, restaurant food for most of your intake, then restaurants are in the business of making sure you come back because the food was damn delicious. <laughs> Uh, and so <laughs> damn, when food is damn delicious, they got to make it hyper palatable. So we're looking at double the butter that you would use at home to make your food, double the salt and double the sugar that you would, you would use at home to make your food. So, um, if you are one of the, these people who cannot and won't prepare your own food, then you have to be very very discriminating about where you go to eat out and, and be very discriminating about what you order. And you're going to have to <laughs> live with the fact that if you're going to order the, the, the really great and rich tasting stuff on the menu, then you're, you're walking a, you're walking a tight rope. You're taking a risk. But so for people who are willing to get into a, get into a routine where they're preparing at least some of their foods at home, then, um, what you can do is just prepare just vats of food in, and mass, you know, pre prepare your protein, like whether it be chicken, fish, poultry, I mean, prepare a certain amount. Of, this is what, what my wife does. She does a lot of times she'll do, um, just like a, a, a a field of chicken, <laughs> a field of freaking chicken drumstick, a field of chicken fat and stuff. And, um, and the family just eats it. And then we just take what we need and what we know for each meal for like freaking three days. And it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's easy for her. She doesn't have to cook every day. She doesn't have to, well, she does cook every day anyway, but she doesn't have to worry about, okay, um, how am I going to have the protein in place for the family? You know, how am I going to have this in place for the family? And so a lot of times she cooks these just, just big vats of food. Um, sometimes they're separated like, you know, chicken, fish, poultry, and then the vegetables are made separately and then et cetera. And sometimes they're all in one, one big, like crock pot. Um, I think that if people have the overall idea in the beginning that, all right, I want each meal to have a certain amount of protein. Now we're talking about the main meal. Snacks are a different thing. I want each meal to have a certain amount of protein and um, if possible, a certain amount of vegetables. And depending on how much I'm trying to economize on calories, it's going to have a certain amount of, of starch. And when I say starch, I'm talking about the umbrella of starch foods, which include grain products and legumes and tubers. That's like, that's the starch group right there. Um, and tubers, for those who haven't heard that term before, we're talking about potatoes and yams and certain types. Mm -hmm. um, and then legumes would be beans, peas, that sort of thing. And then the grain products are, are the grain products, cereal grains, basically bread, cereal, uh, pasta rice that uh corn and and so 
if you have it in mind, each main meal should have a certain amount of those components, then you don't really have to worry about anytime you sit down to a meal, you don't have to worry about having planned it out too far in advance, you know, cause you can have your stuff on the fly. Um, now you're going to be caught out, let's say in an airport somewhere or in a, um, in, in between flights or Lord knows where you might end up at a gas station somewhere on a road trip. You kind of, it helps to know, okay, how is this meal contributing to the total of what I need to accomplish by the end of the day? Mm-hmm. If all you have for, for a meal is let's, let's say like a small bag of pretzels or chips or something like that, then you already can kind of know in your mind that, all right, this isn't fulfilling anything that I need for the day. If anything, it may be taking up some of that starch allotment that I planned for two of my meals today. Um, however, I can make a decision of whether or not to eat it. So without complicating the, the answer too much, Luca, I think that when people know what their meals should look like, they don't necessarily have to have stuff planned too far in advance. But if, but it, I agree with you. It does help to have things stocked up. Like right now in the fridge, I can go grab a freaking palm sized piece of meat and take care of a quarter of my protein for today, you know? Um, or right now I can go into the, the, the pantry and get two scoops of protein powder and take care of a quarter of my protein for the day. You know, um, I think that having the stuff stocked up is a form of planning. And yeah. so if you have it stocked up, you're good. It, there's a, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to always, as, as you're speaking, take mental notes on things I want to unpack and a question I have for you. That's a big one that comes up for me too, um, from clients. But number one, I mean, my, just my personal kind of story from this is I used to eat out a lot um, just because, you know, it was easy. And I'd have these spots where, you know, I'm, I'm getting healthy meals. I'm getting my protein, this, that, the other. Pretty on point. But it was, I mean, I was eating out a lot, like two, three times a day, right? And then COVID happened. I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to have to start cooking in the evenings, right? And so I start cooking in the evenings. And four months in, I'm like, shit, I'm doing everything. You know, my training is very similar. Um, you know, I mean, everything's pretty similar. What the hell did I change? Because I'm leaner and I look more jacked, right? So I'm like, oh shit, I, you know, I'm not, I'm only eating out maybe once because I, I wanted to continue to support small business in this local area and do pickup and stuff. But like, I started cooking a lot more, you know, then that was cooking, like uh, me and my girls move in and start, you know, she cooks a lot. And again, like the only difference is that I continue to go up the scale of cooking for myself or somebody cooking for me at home. And you know, visually, these meals are very similar as far as size and so on and so forth. But the reality is, is what you said is you have no idea what they put in the meals, in the food, how they cook it, because they want it to be tastier. Now, when you go to some of these restaurants, you know, and they do display the calories, it's, you know, the salad's 1400 calories. I'm like, look, I know that my salad at home is like six. So, I mean, it's, it's double, yeah. right? Like it's, it's double the calories oh, yeah. or mm-hmm. an omelet, right? Like, I mean, I'm doing a little oil, scrambled, saute veggies, you know, and I'm like, how the hell is the omelet 1100, right? What, 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 you know, what are you pushing, putting in that sucker? Some Vinstro? Yeah. Like, damn, like, I don't, I don't know. So, <laughs> but that it's, so that whole, how maybe you can't prepare three meals, but if you're eating all three out 
and you start eating one at home, that's a that's a 33% change in your nutrition day, right? And then the second part I think would be to preparing even means like looking at the restaurant you go to or the cafe you go to and picking something ahead of time that kind of fits, you know, the goal and going in there and ordering that rather than like, it's after a meeting, I'm stressed out. I go to the, you know, place that's the closest. And then I order kind of whatever, something that that just calms me down, right? Something sugary, something sweet. And, and, and so that, that was my point, but that brings me to the cravings part because I mean, I think that the more you prepare, the less chance of cravings you have, but what are some of the things that, you know, when folks are like, oh, you know, I was going through my day, but I just had so much cravings and I had to snack on this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the process that you coach on to help people start having less and less cravings and just control, you know, I would say in, in a sense, yeah. some of it's controlling emotion for sure, but, you know, control the cravings mm-hmm. to better be aligned with uh, the nutrition is going to help them get results. Yeah, man. Um, the the first thing for those is a couple there's a couple things you can do so uh the first thing for cravings would be to make sure that um you have the the foods that you you actually crave <laughs> so so Good if point. you if you crave chocolate then make sure you include chocolate in the diet if you crave mm-hmm. like ice cream hey you can include ice cream in the diet um now, of course, there are some folks who will stand up and get mad and, and say, hey, you know, if I if I let myself have one cookie, I'll eat the whole bag. Well, my response is, OK, well, not everybody is you and you might be that person who will eat the whole bag of cookies. But the majority of people simply don't know that they're allowed to have that cookie. So, you know, the majority of people think that I can never have this cookie. So when they do have it they subconsciously have this narrative in their mind saying, Hey, you better eat that whole bag because you're going to try to abstain from this stuff for life. And the next time you have it is maybe like next year. So eat the whole bag. So that's that little voice in their head. And then they end up having the whole bag where that little voice should be saying, you know, this is no big deal. You can take it or leave it. You can have a cookie today, have another one tomorrow, have one every day. If you want, you still live a long, happy life. So that is the, the narrative that should be running in the back of the minds. And so um, you can eliminate cravings by including the craved foods. Um, now, <laughs> there are other people who will stand up and say, hey, man, like um, there's research showing that if you avoid certain foods, then the cravings for them go down. And I would say, well, yeah, that's true. That is true. But there's also research showing that when people binge, when people overeat, it is the those exact foods that are binged on. Mm. So you have to take a step back and go, okay, well, how do we solve this problem? All right. For some people, complete avoidance. Okay, I'll give you that. For a majority of people, complete avoidance of certain foods is the way. But for the majority of people, um, teach them that, hey, it's just food. You know, you you can have it every day, but but just moderate it properly. And then that removes that removes the craving. So so there's that approach. And then the second approach would be what I call um the the cock blocking approach, like like just simply <laughs> displacing stomach space with a lot of plain water. So you basically cock block the craving with a ton of water, uh, not a ton, literally. But if you have two tall glasses of water, 
then it kind of gets you back in touch with the stretch receptors, the sensors, like the sort of this gastrointestinal sense of fullness. That's just a physical stretching of the stomach. Um, and that'll displace your wants and your needs for caloric, caloric stuff. And, um, people don't drink enough plain water anyway through the day. And so doing that, um, like for example, if you are at a restaurant, what most people will do is they'll grab for the bread and butter. And what you can do is instead of doing that, just have two tall glasses of water. Just all, I don't want to use the word force, but I'll use the word force. Just force two glasses of water. And then see if you actually have a craving for the dessert after that meal. Where you, you, If you normally would, if you do that water trick, you won't. And there's a ton of data showing that drinking plain water prior to a meal will always tend to significantly decrease the amount of uh, calories that you that you spontaneously eat like after the after you've displaced that stomach space with water so it's kind of a win-win you you drink more plain water you eat less calories and you and you have less less cravings for whatever it might be so if you have a craving coming on slam two tall glasses of water and then reassess what you're craving and why. And then um, make sure you have it, your, your diet planned out so that you have the foods that you normally crave, but in these strategic and moderated amounts. Like me personally, I love peanut butter. I love chocolate. So what do I do? I, uh, I buy the, uh, the Trader Joe's Pound Plus. They have these, blo- they, these blocks, man, of, of chocolate that are- Well, you just pretty- go for the block. Forget yeah, about the they're... small stuff. Go for the block, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the block is hot, man. So um, I, I just, and it's pre-cut up into these squares. And so okay. I just break it up and put, put that chocolate in a jar. And I'll have like two of those squares of, of, of chocolate a day. And I'll have it with a, a teaspoon of peanut butter. And it's no big freaking deal. By the end of the day, I've racked up like, you know, at three, 400 calories tops of chocolate and peanut butter. And then the rest of my diet is freaking would, would, you know, would make the Okinawans blush. They're like, man, I got to raise my, <laughs> my healthiness, my game up. And so that, and to me, I, I look forward to that. That satisfies uh, all of my cravings. And I know that, Hey, if I want to have it tomorrow, I'm going to have it tomorrow. And there are days that I don't have it. And the reason why is because I don't see it as a need. It's not a forbidden fruit that I'm subconsciously drawn to having, you know, no matter what, I got to have a lot of this stuff. And you just kind of remove the power from the foods and you should put the power in your own hands. You actually answered the question uh, before I was going to ask you that when you started, you know, talking about water um, and drinking that before. Um, There's, I mean, what we, we mentioned protein and protein does help solve that a little bit too, because of satiety. But um, I love I love the water because it's a simple strategy. Uh, one thing that I, I used to do, I don't do it anymore because I feel like I've, I've got control of, of it, but I used to um, drink a protein shake before I'd eat food, like for instance, a dinner or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would always, uh, because I, I tend to like bigger dinners as is. And um, there was a time where I was still actually playing pro sports and I was working on like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get leaner, you know, build lean muscle, but I got to drop some body fat. And 
I, I realized that like I would absolutely crush dinners and I'm talking about just, you know, Viking savagery, like who knows how many calories I was taking in. Yeah. And I yeah. can't remember who told me it was like, oh, I'm going to try drinking a protein shake, you know, before I was like, whatever. Okay. That's just going to add more calories. And I would drink the protein shake and like halfway through, I'm like, man, I can't eat anymore. Um, Cause I was, I was just full, but I was obviously getting just a lot of protein for very, very little of anything else. Um, I just mm -hmm. had some fruit and, and uh, I think a little bit of oatmeal. It wasn't it wasn't like high on carbs or anything else. So I just had my meal. And I just could not eat as much. So fi you know, finding I think these strategies that kind of tick tick the boxes. You know, it's like doing that, adding water. I, I personally don't drink enough water, and it's uh, <laughs> it's such an interesting point. Last night, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely dehydrated, right? So bam, I knocked down a a catalyte thorn. You know, it's kind of like this recovery drink and another glass of water, and I'm like. I am so full, right? And and I just had a small meal and I was going to eat yeah. more afterwards, but I knocked yeah. those two down. I was like, I don't even know if I can eat some more. So yeah. it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, mm -hmm. how can you, you know, simple things that fit the, like you're solving two problems. You're hydrating, which people don't do enough of. And you're feeling more full if you're craving and overeating, like it's going to help you with that. Um, and so I, I definitely want folks to kind of like, you know, hear that and go like, all right, strategy you know, put it in the holster you know put it on the holster baby um there, wait, there's a study man there's a study where they they fed the subjects a, a, a whole just whole fresh apple like the equivalent of an apple before each meal and they significantly reduced the amount of calories in the subsequent meal even more than the caloric value of the apple that they ate prior to wow, the meal that's <laughs> so, a that's a great point, but actually, well, yeah. that was um, the the note that I had in my head too. Uh, the fruit part, I've I've heard that, and I don't know if this is backed by you know a lot of research that came out about it, or it was more anecdotal that I've heard for a number of people that, you know, eating fruit throughout the day is also helps with cravings because there because there's some sweetness to it, but it's not calorically high, at least not most fruits. Plus, they're getting a whole bunch of nutrients that most people tend to be deficient in. Is there anything at least research-based behind that? Or is that more anecdotal? Although I, I do, I, yeah. I do trust that. I, I trust, I, I think that's a good recommendation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely research behind that to where um, eating whole fruit, it has somewhere between a neutral effect on body weight to a weight loss effect. Mm. And um, that's because when you think about the, the, the th I guess the three main things that would satiate somebody in, in the course of the day, um, you're looking at protein, water, and fiber. So um, fruit would be like a water and fiber combo. Mm. And, and so having that and just plus the, you know, the, the sensation, the mechanical sensation of chewing is, is actually satiating. So if you're not drinking down your fruits in the form of fruit juice, and you are actually like biting into an apple or, you know, any fruit, any fruit that you like, some people like to discriminate and say, have these fruits, but not those fruits. That's kind of a, that's not a good, that's not a good deal. You know, um, you should have the fruits that you personally like, cause that's how you stick to a diet is when you actually look forward to what you eat. So, um, so yeah, fruits would be a water thing. And, and in some cases, a water and a fiber thing that would be augmenting the, uh, the satiating effect. Yeah. Cause I, you know, the, the reason I bring it up is cause, um, that, that was actually been another questions on the snacking part, but you know, if people, some folks have a lot of 
couple of said trouble with snacking. Um, and if they can snack on fruit instead of whatever else they're snacking on, which usually isn't fruit, which will be, you know, things like nuts which can rack up calories quick or mm-hmm. you know, yeah. sweets and chocolates and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a better option, but what is your thought? Like, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm off here, but I think the average American is like snacking is 550 calories a day. Um, it, it was some pretty, pretty damn high number. And it's success with our clients that we've had is going from, you know, whatever amount of meals, whether it's four or three or, and just like, Hey, just take the snacking out. Like don't like don't change anything. Just don't snack, and you you know just month one you'll see like really good results. Like holy crap! Like how is this possible? Because it's just not a thing that people rem- you know remember. Like I snack a little bit. What does that even mean, right? But when you look at the average <laughs> amount of calories people take in, it's a I mean it's like a you're snacking at a meal per day. Um, do you do you rec- would you say like snacking is a thing you'd love to take out for most? almost everybody or what are some recommendations that if people snack and you keep it in there um what what is your thoughts around that one i'd I'd really love to hear that yeah um i think that just the general population snacking in the general population is usually a bad thing because they're snacking on uh chips and they're snacking on um high calorie uh low nutritive value foods um it, the whole game changes if you if you say, hey, if, if you're hungry for a snack, eat a fresh fruit, eat, eat a whole fruit. I think that's a whole different thing. You know, um, so snacking is is kind of a double edged sword. So there's there's ways to direct the program productively and still um, give people, I guess, the permission to snack. Um, there's the the ar- archetypical. Uh, trail mix of freaking raisins and peanuts and this and (laughs) m&ms i mean people i think they're healthy eating fruits and nuts and and stuff but um you know dried fruit and and nuts is a good way to eat like a thousand calories while you're sitting down you know how like this you might find this funny because it's like in in um in europe in slovenia they call those bags, right? Where it's just like a whole bunch of nuts, raisins, maybe some chocolate. Trail mix. Yes. Trail mix. Is they call them uh in Germany they call them Studentfutter, which is like student food. Right. It's like it's basically like I'm broke, but this will get you a bunch of calories, you know? <laughs> yes. it, it is it is and I'm like, might be good for for the student that needs calories, you know, to get through the day uh, and add calories, but it ain't put it this way. Essentially, what it's saying is like cheap with a lot of calories. So you don't want that. Okay. Mm-hmm. If your goal is, uh, I would say, weight maintenance or weight loss or fat loss, that's probably not the best bet for you right there. Um, I wanted to bring that one up because it literally says it on the back. It's like student food. You know? So it's funny. Um, cool. But I'm glad you said that because, <laughs> because there's, um, I mean, there's, I guess there's, there is approaches where it's like, hey, you know, maybe take the snacking out. But if you don't, here's some better options for it. Yeah. Now, this is, I want to get to that, uh, to exercise more towards the end because I kind of want to go to the tier two, right? So if this was tier one, and honestly, like tier one, if you do those things well, you cover so many bases. Um, you know, even again, for most people, the nutrient deficiencies that they have, if you do the things from tier one, you're, you're probably going to solve a lot of that. But what would be tier two for you? And tier two, when it comes to not only like 
performance, but like performance, health, longevity. If people cover those bases, what's that next tier where they could take things to the next level? Yeah. Um, the next tier would be to tailor your diet more closely to your training goals. So, um, or, or even your, your body composition goals. So some people might have the goal of, for example, well, you know, you've got fat loss and you got muscle gain and those two tracks have specifically different, um, programming objectives that you can tweak the diet better for. So with, with fat loss, it it's, or muscle gain, it's, it's going to be a matter of getting the right amount of protein and calories. Um, and performance is a whole other thing, but let's just look at the fat loss and muscle gain thing. So for fat loss, it's going to be a matter of making sure you don't have this tendency to overeat and this, and you have to make sure that you keep a net caloric deficit in place by the end of the week. So people differ individually in how they prefer to achieve that caloric deficit by the end of the week. Some people are more inclined to do, to run a, a pretty uniform caloric deficit every day. Like let's say a three to 500, six, sometimes 700 calorie deficit, like every day. Whereas other folks do much better on a non-linear type of model where they're eating pretty much maintenance for most of the days of the week, but for a couple of days of the week, they'll drop really, you know, far down low or even, or even fast through a couple of the days of the week. So you've got to individualize the way that you achieve that caloric deficit by the end of the week, whether it's a more linear deficit or whether it's a more non-linear deficit. And there's ways to actually, you know, not go as extreme as fasting, but there's ways to manipulate your carbohydrate intake um, to achieve that caloric deficit by the, by the end of the week uh, without having to you know, micromanage and, and think, okay, I got to, you know, drop 500, make sure I'm on a 500 calorie deficit yep. every day for So there's, there's ways of going about that. So when you talk about the second tier, it, it, it's a little bit more of a fine tuning thing on how you individualize the program for improvements in body composition. So, and, and on the muscle gain side, and I know that was just a really kind of high level glaze over overview, but we'll do the same thing for the muscle gain side. So for gaining muscle, uh, the ideal conditions are a caloric surplus or at least caloric maintenance or a slight caloric surplus. And for some people, depending on their goals, an aggressive caloric surplus, if they happen to be in quotes, hard gainers. So you individualize the surplus of calories per day mm -hmm. in order to create the, in, in order to prime the physiological environment to be conducive to muscle growth. So the body cannot grow muscle from thin air. You've got to have the energy availability to do it. Um, and there's other rabbit holes to go down in that direction to where people who are closer to their potential for muscle gain will gain a lot of body fat. If you make their caloric surpluses really aggressive, yep. you know, you have to keep their caloric surpluses like 10 to 20% above and beyond maintenance. If you want to keep fat gain under control while, while they're gaining muscle, whereas somebody's a total newbie, just started training, heck, you know, you can do a 20 to 40% caloric surplus and just let them go and let them train. Yeah. And 
you know, they, they'll partition those, those, that energy and those fuels properly towards, towards the lean tissue and, and very little, or sometimes even none. And sometimes they'll even recomp and lose fat yep. and gain muscle at the same time. If they're beginners or intermediates on their training journey. Um, so yeah, you got to make sure that the surplus is there and, and in place and optimized towards the individual. And then we can go like it. I guess that would be the tier three where you look at protein distribution and, and yep, how, yep. how to best position doses of protein through the day in order to maximize short-term responses in, in anabolism, like muscle protein synthesis, and then have that translate to, you know, better gains in muscle over time. So there's different rabbit holes to go down with that. And I, I'll give maybe an example and you let me know if, you know, this is kind of like in line with, with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's, you know, let's, let's say that this is a drop some body fat, but try to maintain as much muscle as possible and go, okay, I got like an insanely difficult training session on Saturday and that training session, I'm going to have, you know, a good chunk of starches with every meal. But then I got a day where I'm just doing really like aerobic capacity work to recover. And I'm not doing any carbs just until the evening. So my meal, my, my meal one and my meal two is protein, veggies, and some fats. And you but and you're kind of distributing like the harder the workout, the more starches you do that day. Um, sure. you know, no, no, maybe you even maybe you even have a low carb day, but just on the day you don't train. Mm-hmm. And then you have like a medium carb day on a conditioning day, but that way you're, but that way you're kind of, you're still, you're under in calories, right? But you're managing it throughout the week based on your training sessions to have more energy uh, and also to support maintaining that muscle that you, you got to not losing any of that. Would that, would that be a good example for, for instance, that uh, a fat loss phase, but maintaining muscle? Absolutely, man. That's, that's dead on. I mean, you can get to a point in your development, in your journey where you're fueling for the work required, you know, you're, you're sort of fine tuning um, your intake with the demands of the day. And that that's kind of the ultimate level to get to um, once you have gotten to know your body well, and once you've gotten to um, enough practice with, with consistency, then you can, then you can fine tune. And on days that where it's like a moonlit stroll to just lying around the couch, watching Netflix and stuff. Yep. You know, your fueling needs are going to be quite different from, let's say, other days that you mentioned where it's a high volume training session mm-hmm. or just a high volume physical activity day. It, this is actually something that you mentioned, and this is uh, uh, even in my own interest. I've, I've been like diving into longevity stuff for quite a bit now. And, then you know, um, uh, my neighbor and my, my one of my close friends, closest friends is Joel Jameson, who's obviously uh, extremely geeky on the side of conditioning and just throwing himself a longevity. So every week we're having these conversations in two. And, and now you got this, you know, I, I don't know if you, you've seen it, but limitless, uh, which is um, on national geographic, that, that kind of six part series with Chris Hemsworth on health and longevity. And, um, but, but I so only I, saw the movie limitless. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Which is a great movie, by the way. And that's a great yeah. movie. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, I like it. it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So basically what they did was, you know, they got um, actually Peter Atiyah is on a bunch of the episodes and talking about longevity and, uh, you know, one one episode's fasting and then cold exposure, heat exposure, exercise conditioning. Uh, pretty good stuff. But w- what I wanted to kind of dive into is so because there's two kind of parts of this, right? You got you got um, fasting as a form of. I would say uh, a strategy and 
Yeah, go switch it up, baby. Let's go. That's a <laughs> As, squeaky damn chair I was on, man. <laughs> good. Um, so, you know, fasting is a form of, uh, of a strategy to obviously, you know, cut out some calories. It works for some, it doesn't for others. I've actually, I did it for years. And again, it works well with my schedule. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, uh, the most magical thing on the planet or anything else. But, you know, now you also have this side of, well, you know, it can be very healthy for longevity purposes. And also kind of where does it fit into, I know this is a, a layer of questions, but mm-hmm. I kind of want to move through that, like the metabolic flexibility side of yeah. things, you know, mm-hmm. the the benefits of uh, doing things fasted so that you can use fat more as a fuel source and carbs as a fuel source. And what are your thoughts around that? Bo- both the, the side on longevity and metabolic flexibility. I really want to uh, hear hear your thoughts on both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I just wrote this monstrous paper on intermittent fasting and we we just published it, uh, within the past few days, actually. Oh, cool. Um, actually, what, 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 what's the date today? Is it the third? Yeah. Yeah. Within the last week we published it and it's a free full text. Um, so I don't know, maybe we could put it in the show notes or something like that, but Intermittent fasting um, from the the standpoint of controlling caloric intake is pretty obvious. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an effective way to do that. And the beauty about intermittent fasting for controlling intake is that during the feeding cycles, you don't have to consciously restrict because the fasting cycles are are such a contrast energetic wise that um, they really offset however you're you know however people tend to eat on the feeding cycles. So intermittent fasting, the, the to me the beauty of it is the removal of uh, having to purposely restrict on your feeding cycles, and that goes with um, intra week models like alternate day fasting or twice weekly fasting, as well as intraday models like time-restricted feeding, whether it's early time-restricted feeding or delayed time-restricted feeding, Mm -hmm. the ad libitum element or the unrestricted element applies to both all forms of fasting. And so that is the the really cool thing about fasting. Um, As far as fasting's special effects on health and longevity, and on things like metabolic flexibility, that's controversial compared to their simple ability to control and and mitigate the chances of excess caloric intake. So it's almost impossible to separate the positive the positive consequences mm. of weight loss and fat loss and yep. controlling against excess intake from the specific um, benefits that might be inherent with prolonged periods of not eating. So it's, it's difficult to um, disentangle the, the benefits yep. of those things. So, so um, it's, it's entirely possible, Luca, that the main benefit of fasting and the, in quotes, the magic, behind intermittent fasting is its ability to enable people to eat less by the end of the day or the end of the week. And um, the reason why we, we uh, at least it would speculate pretty strongly that this is the case is when you 
there was a recent study done that that looked at health health indexes, cardiometabolic health indexes, like blood lipids, glucose control. Um, I believe that they also looked at um, inflammatory markers, but I'm not sure. But they did look at cardiometabolic health parameters, and they used lean subjects. And it was an alternate day fasting model that they tested with a linear daily caloric restriction model. There were no advantages to the alternate day fasting compared to daily caloric restriction in lean subjects. And they were trying to isolate whether whether fasting had some special effects on on these um, clinical indexes, and it didn't. And in fact, uh, the people on the alternate day fasting routine, and they matched everything: calories by the end of the week, nutrients by the end of the week. Um, they actually lost more lean body mass than the daily caloric restriction regime, which was kind of an um, you know, an unfortunate finding for people who like the idea of alternate day fasting. But the moral of the story of that is the leaner and more fit you get, the less of a benefit intermittent fasting has, and potentially the more of a risk that you're, you're, you're putting lean body mass at. Mm, Great point. As you, as you, you know, maintain a fasting or intermittent fasting type regime, as you get into leaner body composition. Mm-hmm. And um, once again, you know, the longevity question hasn't really been answered with fasting versus daily caloric restriction, like with, with intermittent fasting versus daily caloric restriction. So um, intermittent fasting versus regular habitual eating, like, yeah, for sure, intermittent fasting is going to cause better health outcomes, especially in people who need to lose body fat and body weight. But as you get leaner and fitter, then it becomes more questionable. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I want to give just from my experience and some of my personal examples and with, with clients. But the way that I like to use, again, as a lot of times it's a strategy. You know, it's almost like a toolbox for me. For example, I'm a foodie. So I'll, I'll eat the same almost every day, but I like going out to restaurants with friends, trying to foods, whatever, right? Um, and so if I'm on the road and Jay Farouge is like, I got two to three restaurants we got to hit today. You know, we'll do that sometimes, by the way, right? And just crush them. And who knows how far we go over calorically. Mm-hmm. I already know. I'm like, next day I'm fasting, right? I might just yeah. do dinner. That's yeah, it. You sure, know, and, sure. and it, boom, it's a strategy. Like that's, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to level this out. You know, maybe maybe it's such a crazy weekend. I might go Monday, Tuesday, just have one meal. <laughs> like, I mean, I've done mm-hmm. that many times before. And it really just becomes a strategy. Um, to do exactly what you said before, like you're, you know, you're closing the window automatically. There's no way I'm going to eat, uh, the amount of food that I would have if I had two other meals, no matter how, you know, small or whatever they were. So I I think that's a a really, really good point is to know, and there's, there's a lot of ways to do it right there where you could go one day a week where you just do one meal and the rest you restrict calories, but you're a little bit more, I would say, on a, on a higher side, you know, closer to maintenance, but then you go like, Hey, on, you know, on Sunday, I don't work out. I I'm a little bit active and I just have one meal. I mean, we could give templates for a lot of different ways to do it. I, I just want people to hear strategically, maybe how this would play out, how it plays out with me. Um, there's, there's a lot of folks that, you know, we coach and they go like, ah, I really don't, you know, um, I don't care for breakfast, you know, as far as like eating in the morning. And then we kind of structure some stuff around, but they, you know, some days they train in the morning and I'm like, Hey, 
you're going to have a hard strength training session. Like it's probably better that you eat in the morning. So don't fast, but Hey, this day, like, you know, all I want you to do is aerobic capacity work later on and you're fine. Like, and again, it, it should be individualized based on people's lifestyles, people's, uh, you know, if folks are like, there's no way I can, you know, not eat food. Well, that's probably not a good strategy for you to start off with. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that again, it can become a great tool. Uh, but I also like that, you know, you, you back it up with, with certain data to go like, look, just don't think it's the magic wand and it will just do, uh, a ton for you. And a great point on that, right? Like the fitter you are, the leaner you are. And if you want to maintain your lean body mass, that might not be the best strategy for you whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's a great point, which, but th this leads me to, if, you know, for, again, this is, I think tier two, kind of like tier three, okay. Metabolic, you know, the conversation of metabolic flexibility, um, how important is it for, for folks? Again, when it comes to yeah. the health side of things, are, are there merits to doing things to go like, Hey, my body is good at burning, you know, I would say fat at lower intensities and then burning carbs at higher intensities. And if you can't do that, I'm actually doing a DexaFit uh, VO2 max test and, and testing this out for myself to see where I'm at, doing a lot of labs and, you know, kind of doing a little bit of a mini project with myself. Um, okay. okay. Dive deeper um, and, and, and kind of share with people. But, you know, where are your thoughts on that? You know, is, is that like a mm -hmm. thing that should people should look into uh, mm -hmm. more closely at all? Even like I said, if you're, you're like, if you're like, Okay, I've already built the foundational level of leanness and health, and I want to take it to the next level. Uh, what are, What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I yeah, I'm going to dive into that. I, there's something I forgot to mention that that your your answer just reminded me about. I have a client who has a couple of business dinners a week that are huge. I mean, we're talking appetizers, main course, um, drinks, mm -hmm. and on those days that's all he eats. Yes. And, and the fo following day he'll have like maybe a couple protein shakes because of just the, the scale of how, how much gets eaten and drank on those business dinners. <laughs> so, so yeah, it is definitely a strategic thing that, that would work for a lot of folks that where, where intermittent fasting in quotes would just be, be like a strategy to fit in very large intakes of meals mm -hmm. that you don't really have uh, um, you know, <laughs> much of a choice in, in, in having with, depending on lifestyle and stuff. So yeah, very good. Very good. I'm glad that you brought that up. So, um, as far as metabolic flexibility goes, the two ways that we know that increase metabolic flexibility, or in, in other words, like you mentioned, the ability for the body to switch between, um, using, um, fat for fuel versus carbs for fuel. So, substrate utilization, so mm -hmm. to speak, optimized substrate utilization. The two ways that we can increase it are physical activity, body fat loss. So um, whether or not training while fasted increases your body's ability to be more metabolically flexible, that's up for debate. And, and it's, it's largely speculative. Mm -hmm. So if you take two people and get them to the same degree of leanness and let's say um, exercise training fitness, whether it be endurance or whether it be strength or a combination of both. And um, you, you take one group and you do the things that are supposedly going to increase metabolic flexibility, like, like training fasted, 
and or um, concentrating nutrient intake and carbohydrate availability mm-hmm. around high intensity output work and removing carbs away from either non-activity or low intensity work. You take, you know, you, you met metabolically flexibilize one group and then you take another group and make it totally linear, but yep. you make sure they both arrive at the same level of leanness and fitness by the end of the trial. I don't, I honestly don't, I don't know. And I highly doubt that there'd be a metabolic flexibility advantage of, of, uh, of the nonlinear group. Yep. And that's just based on um, the research we have right now, but I'm not opposed to the possibility that we could explore that some more. You know, um, I try not to be dogmatic yeah. about the existing evidence just because, you know, as the old cliche goes, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. You know, yes. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to stay open minded to that. But if somebody truly wanted to increase metabolic flexibility, get leaner, get more active and yes. however way you plan on doing it. Yeah. But see, that's I, I think that's um, a good point, meaning you can get there a bunch of different ways. Right. Because I don't like, I, you know, if, if people um, there's folks that are like, hey, I just feel better if I do, you know, steady state kind of aerobic zone two cardio fasted cool you know go ahead <laughs> right it's, it's like and i like i do it sometimes not because i'm trying to test that it's just i have a horrible time doing any type of high intensity because i go hard in the paint um anybody that knows like i train i train very hard in the paint so if it's higher intensity i got to eat carbs that day lower intensity stuff i can easily do you know it's like podcasting hour of you know jacob's ladder and sleds and all that stuff that's at like you know 140 beats per minute but for anybody that's trained really, really hard, you'll find that almost uh, very challenging to do. Let's just put it that way. But I think that's a really good data to go like, look, you'll improve this whichever way you go there. If you get leaner, this will get better. So that mm-hmm. means that like find mm-hmm. something you can stick to that's sustainable to get you leaner. Um, and again, repeat sustainable, right? That you, that you can do. And then add in strength training, exercise, you know, conditioning, which we could kind of di- dive down the rabbit hole in. Um, but because I like, I want to leave that for the last thing before, before that, I wanted to just ask you, like, what are some, like, if you had to to round up some of the biggest mistakes that you find. So as, as you know, not only as a researcher, but like as a coach, right. As a practical coach, the things that you see that are mistakes that clients make before they come to see you or maybe that are even recommended through the mass kind of like social media um Mm. what are some of the biggest mistakes and what are the solutions or should i say better approaches to um to changing your nutrition i i honestly think that i mean there's so much information out there and it's hard for um clients and, and the general public to navigate it all and make sense of it and so sometimes people can actually read too much. <laughs> I mean, if they're reading a lot of stuff in the lay press, then they, they get confused. They find ways to confuse themselves. And an example that kind of falls in line with what we were just talking about is the idea of um, fasting increasing a phenomenon called autophagy. Autophagy, yeah. And autophagy is literally like the, the 
you know, the, the word, it means self-eating. Yep. <laughs> so it's the body's way to get rid of um, uh, damaged cellular components and uh, in essence, just, just run better at, at, at a cellular level. So, okay. And autophagy is something that, that that term is thrown around a lot when people try to justify the superiority of intermittent fasting. But when you look at the, the literature on this, autophagy is stimulated by a, a hypocaloric conditions in and of themselves. So if you're in a caloric deficit, you're going to ramp up autophagy, whether that caloric deficit is a daily caloric restriction or whether it's an intermittent fasting type model, you're going to ramp up autophagy. Exercise, any kind of exercise, even resistance training, that ramps up, that stimulates autophagy, sometimes even to greater degrees than fasting, as we're seeing in, in recent research. And the thing about exercise is you're stimulating autophagy, but you're also causing various adaptations that are beneficial to longevity, like, like the maintenance of lean body mass and, uh, you know, increasing of aerobic capacity and, and, and a combination of those things. Whereas with fasting in certain populations, like let's say the frail elderly would be a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, with uh, the effect of, of exercise on, on autophagy, you know, exercise is a win-win. Whereas with fasting and intermittent fasting and autophagy, it can be a zero sum game or even like a, like a lose, lose, depending on the, the population you apply it to. So the general population will read these blog articles and read various bits of media and say, ah, okay, intermittent fasting, I got to do it. I got to fast because of autophagy, because autophagy is where it's at. And that is the completely wrong picture. Autophagy is, is a, it's an algorithm. It's a physiological algorithm that goes on in the background. Whether you, if you're focusing on autophagy, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's almost like people focusing on insulin <laughs> when they really need to be focusing on, okay, well, how do I maintain muscle and how do I maintain good body composition while staying active? Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah. Don't read too much of the lay press. Okay. Be really careful about the information you take in and end up seeing as gospel. So that's a big mistake that the general population makes. And it, it, this is uh, to, to no fault of their own because where else are they going to get their information? You know, nobody, nobody within the outside of us practitioners knows where to go for the good information. So I would just caution the, the general public against that. Um, and of course the solution to that, I don't know, man, that's a million dollar question. Read the right books. <laughs> talk, talk to the right I got, people. I got one I can recommend to you. Um, <laughs> flexible dieting. Um, Thank you. We'll, we'll put that one in the show notes, but you know, you know, what's cool that you brought that up because I, you know, I said, um, earlier and I said, Hey, you know, there's a new show, uh, on national geographic limitless. Right. And that comes up a lot. And I mean, look, it's been coming up a lot, you know, autophagy has been coming up left and right. And so now you're, you know, you're kind of shining a light and zoning in on something that may be true. Okay. But this is why this is so important. Like conversations like this is like, yeah, but you get the same thing with exercise, strength training, nutrition, caloric restriction in whatever way that you, you get there. Right. And you're also getting that. So, so now people can go like, Oh, okay, well, so you do get it through all these different avenues, not just this one, you know, that we shine a light on because because you can you can essentially now 
and and I get it why they make shows and how you know it's like we're trying to make this more interesting and do this that and the other, but I, I, it's so important that people get the source from the right folks and get all the data and options, right? Even just that sharing that is for somebody to go like, well, shit, like I should just focus on caloric restriction, you know, training and getting some conditioning in consistency because if if this happens, that's going to happen. I don't have to, you know, kind of dive into this. And look, maybe it is somewhere down the line, whatever, we, we find more research and data. But I think the problem is, is like what you said, that people don't have success because they're going into th- stuff that's going to be less likely for them to be able to keep it sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and, and that's, in you know, we want to prevent that as much as possible. Now, the thing is, that the, the reason why I wanted to leave this for last, I mean, one, because I, I love training. It's kind of a, I won't say it's the main thing that we do because I feel like if you don't coach nutrition alongside with training, like you're not really helping people <laughs> change, mm-hmm. you know, change, change your life. But, but everywhere, even when the nutrition conversation comes up, it's like exercise is always built in. And there's so much research and studies that show the benefits of it that like, I mean, we could do probably 10 hours straight on that. Um, but none, nonetheless, like for anybody that's listening, could you just touch on like, I would say three to five of the most important points of exercise and, and may it be strength training or cardio. I think both are important, but um, when it comes to helping with nutrition, right? How exercise helps support the nutritional changes uh, for people. Okay. Okay. I, I want to tie that into something that I feel is, is really important for people to know. And uh, it also relates to your previous question about the mistakes people make. Okay. So I think I can tie that in. Awesome. Um, most people in the general public do not have a realistic picture of how much muscle they can gain in a lifetime, (laughs) let alone how much they can gain in like a month. Uh, Same thing with fat loss. Okay. So realistic rates of progress um, is a big stumbling block for, for people because it's one of the big reasons why they will quit a program and to start trying to find something else and never stay consistent once they hit a plateau. And so knowing these rates of progress is a really powerful thing. And it really comes down to one to two. Okay. So in the realm of fat loss, one to two pounds per week is a realistic, uh, a realistic goal for, you can say fat loss or weight loss. If we're losing yep. just body fat and not lean body mass. Yep. So one to two pounds a week is a realistic goal for most people who are trying to lose weight to shoot for. And that's per week. And of course, as you get leaner and arrive closer towards your goal, well, then half of that, cut that, yeah. cut that number in half, you know, half a pound to a full pound a week, plenty as you're as you get away from obesity and go into be, becoming um, overweight to normal weight half a pound to a pound a week, plenty. Same numbers with muscle gain, but on a monthly basis, Mm -hmm. right? So like a beginner um, can expect to put on one, two pounds of lean body mass a month. And as they go into the intermediate and certainly towards advanced stage, cut that down half a pound to a pound a month if if you're doing everything right as an intermediate and certainly an advanced person. So when you have those rates of progress in mind, 
that's really powerful because it'll prevent you from prematurely quitting a program. Um, and something really interesting to me that, that just looking at like how much muscle people can gain in, in, in a lifetime, like typical adult, uh, if you compare the, the fat free mass index of people with the largest amounts of, of lean body mass who are still lean, um, like the, the bodybuilding population. Okay. So elite level competitive bodybuilders, um, they have roughly about 25% more muscle. They carry about 25% more lean mass than the average untrained adults. And that's, that's with men about 25% more. So with women, it's about 15% more lean mass in the competitive elite competitive bodybuilding population compared to uh, untrained adult women. So in terms of absolute numbers, if men uh, realize that in a lifetime of uh, uh, adult training, let's say a 10 year period, you may put on 25 to 40, possibly 50 pounds of muscle um, in your training career, then um, the numbers on an annual basis really kind of look pretty small. Like if you average like seven pounds a year muscle that you put on 10 pounds a year, you're doing really good in a five-year training period, you know, where you're at your prime and you're putting on muscle for the sport. And so when you think about, God, seven pounds of muscle a year is, is amazing. And then you look at programs that promise like three, four pounds of muscle a month. Uh, yeah, man. No, not really. Maybe <laughs> at the beginning while you're just yeah. piling on a bunch of fluid and <laughs> glycogen and water and stuff. But yeah, that'll, that'll level out really fast. And I think it's important for people, for people to know that men, you are lucky if you gain, to, I want to say 25 to 40 or 50 pounds in your whole training career as an adult and women, you're lucky if you gain 15 to 25 pounds above the, you know, the, the average untrained woman during your training career that those, those numbers apply to drug-free um, individuals. Yeah, yeah. Just so you know, <laughs> so when we introduce, um, anabolic androgenic steroids and uh, performance enhancing drugs kick those numbers up by like yeah. 20%. And then mm -hmm. you're right around there. Um, there's a guy named, um, Nick Walker, who just, who won the Arnold, uh, I think last year, it's 2021. And he, he posted a picture of him at 18 versus age 28. And there was a hundred pound difference between his 18 year old self and his 28 year old self. Yeah. Um, drugs are a whole different thing, man. So the numbers I, I, I discussed have to do with, with natural um, trainees, but I think it's important for people to know those numbers and have those expectations so that they don't get demotivated through the process. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I wanted to make sure I got that through. So like um, tying nutrition in with that, well, I, gosh, where do we start? You know, I mean, it's put it, put it this way. I, the reason I bring it up is because for folks that are listening to, while there's a lot of coaches, there's a lot of fitness enthusiasts, but I always, you know, people share it a lot is that for somebody that, you know, uh, I would say, unfortunately, many Americans, many people around the world don't 
you know, don't lift weights and, and don't exercise is to really understand how important it plays into, I mean, every single goal that you have that has to do with health and longevity and like looking a certain way is going to have an attachment to strength training and, and some form of, you know, cardio exercise, right? Like in, and that's why, but because I, I know that a lot of people are like, I'm going to change my nutrition. So I change my body. And it's like, great, you're going to sit in this car and you're going to drive away, but you're going to have two wheels, you know, instead of four or maybe even less. Right. So th that's my point is, is these two things, you can't attach, detach one from the <laughs> other. Um, but even in, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I, I know that there's a bunch of research that come out as far as training and satiety that, that there is showing that when you, when you train, it does, it's one of the things that regulates satiety. Um, there's also, I mean, th just the, the conversation around lean body mass, uh, one to build it, or even to maintain it, it, you know, you have to challenge yourself and how is that, you know, you know, how's going to help you be metabolically healthy, but also, you know, how is it going to affect uh, food, right? How's it going to affect food consumption? And where is it going to go? I mean, obviously there's a the calories burn part, more lean muscle mass equals high RMR and all those different things, right? Like you can't detach them, but, but at least in your mind, what do you think are the, the three kind of like big pillars? Just like, look, you got to exercise. Here's why. Um, even like I said, when you're going on a nutrition plan, you, you got to add this too. Yeah. Regardless of the exercise, just from a pragmatic and like a behavioral standpoint, mm -hmm. you will be more compliant to a dietary program if you're in essence, at least subconsciously knowing you're putting in sacrifice as far as the training part goes. Yeah. So whether you are, you dive into resistance training first, or whether you are doing more of like endurance, uh, aerobic endurance type of training, or whether you're somebody who does both, um, just doing that, it kind of puts a safeguard on you not wanting to sabotage the whole thing because you you are putting a certain amount of effort and sacrifice in there you're not going to want to you'll have less of a tendency to actually undo it by have by maintaining a poor diet so those things kind of work bi-directionally so if you get into that routine of training and or physical activity that you enjoy then you're going to be more motivated to have the nutritional side properly complement or fuel the exercise side. And so just from a behavioral standpoint, it's important to just have that in place. Um, from a physiological standpoint, um, we, you know, not to get into the weeds too much, but if you compare a group who wants to lose weight with just diet, you compare that group with, with a, a group of people who loses weight by increasing exercise. And so if you match the experiment upright, one group is dropping 500 calories a day and not exercising. And the other group is exercising, let's say 500 calories a day. They'll both arrive at the same spots, um, maybe from a body weight perspective at the end of the, the experiment. But the people who exercise are going to be building uh, a myriad of physiological adaptations to exercise that make their fuel use a lot more efficient. And, and when I say efficient, I mean, better 
because you are increasing mitochondrial activity within the muscle tissue and you increase the oxidative capacity of cells and you can better partition incoming calories towards the lean tissue instead of the fat tissue because the lean tissue is acting basically like this metabolic blast furnace for calories and fuels and properly using it to maintain muscle and your body fat will also be in check as a result. So you'll you'll also the exercising group will be able to reduce certain depots of fat in the body that um put you at cardiometabolic risk like visceral fat. So fat around the organs, um fat around the um internal abdominal cavity. Exercise keeps visceral fat in check, whereas just dieting doesn't necessarily do that to the same degree. And so you're changing body composition as you exercise. You're preserving or increasing lean mass. You're controlling body fat levels or even reducing them. And um, by doing those things, you are putting your the right health investments in the bank for later on in life when you're getting into middle age and beyond. And you're putting um, the right <laughs> the right dollars in the bank for making sure your skeletal system is good as well. So bone health, mineralization, the maintenance of uh, of skeletal health, so you don't get brittle bone disease later on down the line. So there's so many avenues towards maintaining good health and preserving good health through exercise that you just cannot get with controlling caloric intake and diet. They both have to be in place because they both complement each other. Man, that's that's perfect. I mean, again, it's 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 like the I think both of us, you know, one of is I mean, even if you if you read the foreword for the book, forward for your book, it's pretty much like I want to be able to simplify, you know, evidence-based nutrition. And of course, you're including exercise in there because there's such a big component of everything and spread it to the masses so that people are not as confused. It can do the simple things, you know, and make it easier because it's hard because if you're confused, it's hard, right? Like uh, Donald Miller says this quote, I always remember. I remember it for coaching. I remember it for marketing. It's like when you confuse, you lose, right? And it, it's true, right? So, I, and I think the confusion is at an all-time high. So I'd love to, you know, have people on that like are great at what they do both research-based that turn it into practical you know uh, application and let's get that spread out as much as possible so that people are like okay cool listen this makes sense it's simple maybe not easy but you know what because it's simple it's going to be easier for me now to do these things um and, and that's why i also brought that up as far as like to where folks can connect the dots and go like, look, maybe you're not going to start with heavy strength training, start with something that you enjoy, do Zumba, do, you know, go running. I mean, like as much as, you know, 10 years, I got to be like, no, this is what's most efficient, you know, whatever. Like, listen, if you're not doing anything and you start doing something like you're winning, you know, you're, you're progressing and, and I'm all for it. And I have such crazy stories of, you know, people where they started with their uh, exercise journey and what led them to us here at Vigor Ground. I mean, it was, you know, it was all types of different things where they were like, they got more active, they felt better. And they're like, Hey, you know, I, I read something, I studied something and I realized the importance of strength training. So I, you know, found you guys. Right. So I, I would say discouraging. I think that's another problem that, that you can kind of see, right. It's like this discouragement 
of things that aren't, you know, optimal that fit pros will say like, that's not optimal. Yes, it is. It's way more optimal than, than not doing anything. And mm. it should be encouraged. And there's, there's a journey, right? And the journey may start here, but it's going to end in doing strength training and conditioning and whatever else it may be. So um, I, I just want to get that word out to as many people as possible, just like you do. So, you know, with that said, look, man, I got, I know we could riff on, I got another 22 <laughs> questions, which, 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 you know, means we'll just do another show um, down life for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. But listen, brother, like I, if you don't mention it, but like where, where can people find out more about you? I'm actually going to uh, do a plug for some of the things that you do that I think are phenomenally valuable for, uh, well, a general population, but also for fit pros. But like, where, where's the best way for folks to find out more about you? All right. So alanaragon.com is uh, where you can get all my stuff. Uh, I do a monthly research review. Uh, that was the first one in the industry. Yes. And um, a bunch of my my uh, colleagues and students started their own, which are great research reviews. But I I take pride in, in starting the whole thing. Um, I just wrote a book called Flexible Dieting that's available everywhere from Walmart to Target to Amazon. to. This is what it looks like, by the way, if you guys are watching. Yes, that's the beast. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, for folks who just want to get their feet wet and just read my stuff, I've got a, I've got an article page on my website. So alanaragon.com slash articles. And, uh, I've got over 20 peer reviewed, um, articles in there. The most of them are, are free full text. So if you want to really just kind of, you know, if you have a tough time falling asleep at night and you want to snooze a little bit, <laughs> just, <laughs> just crack that page open and start, start reading the articles. But, um, but yeah, that, that's where you can find me is alanaragon.com. And that was a great conversation, Luca, man. I, re I really enjoyed this, man. Man, my pleasure. I, I will I will make sure that all of it is in the show notes, uh, guys. So the link to the book, uh, link to, like I said, um, I was actually on on it for, I, I can admit that I'm not on it right now, um, but AARR, which is Alan Aragon's research review, and it is absolutely excellent. Um, I mean, one thing I'll say that Alan puts a, a, a whole, pretty much, look, this is what it is, okay? You don't have to do all the research because this guy does. And then you just get the nice, great explanation of what's working, what's not working and what you should be on top of. Um, and if you're a coach for the investment that you make, it's it's a legitimately nothing um, to become better. So so definitely, I mean, I'm from my own personal experience, uh, I've consumed pretty much just about everything that the Allen's put out. So make sure you get on that. We'll put, put it in the show notes. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you so much, man. This was a great conversation. And um, I definitely know we'll be doing this again in the future. And I'll keep you posted on any of the events that we have coming out because I definitely like to have you out uh, again for, for one of our events. Um, Thanks, and man. with that said, my friends, make sure you spread the word. Like if you heard this and you feel like it's been valuable for you, you know, if, if, if anything, I ask to just spread the word that's the cost of the show the cost of the show is just spread the word uh and we'll see you in the next episode of your life podcast peace out